Good morning, everyone. Please turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We appreciate the opportunity to be here with you folks this morning. It's always a blessing to be in a church of like precious faith. You are not alone. There are a number of us out there that still cling to these precious truths. I appreciate so much singing the old hymns of the faith. Amazing Grace is one of my uh, favorite songs. I know the history behind John Newton and uh, the truths of that old hymn uh, never wear out. Amen? They never, ever wear out. I had heard about your building, and I thought, I need to get there early because I heard about the antique vehicles. And as I'm looking around at the antique vehicles, I realized, huh, I used to ride around in these same vintage cars. When I was a kid, I'm a uh, 1958 model myself. Don't be trying to do the math right now. But it is a blessing to be with you. And I've been praying uh, for your church, praying for this meeting, praying that the Holy Spirit would provoke us as we just sang, that God would use his word to encourage us specifically this morning to be more like Christ. Isn't that our challenge, to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let's begin Philippians chapter 2, beginning in his verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Without even going much further, we know that this is going to be a challenging message, not from me, but from the word of God itself. Even in the preparation of doing this, I don't know how many times I've been moved to tears because of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us and the pattern, the example he has set before us in the word of God. In the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, Paul is exhorting the believers to be like-minded, to be of one accord, and to have a humble opinion of themselves. It's a wonderful blessing to have a church that has unity. Amen? Amen. And this morning, there's something I'm assuming here. I'm assuming you folks have great unity. Amen? And I praise the Lord for that. It's great to have great unity. And I'm assuming you're not going around reciting one of the only poems I have memorized. You're not saying to yourself, Oh, to dwell with the saints above, that will be glory. Oh, to dwell with the saints below, well, that's another story. It's one of the only poems I have memorized. But because I'm convinced you do have great fellowship, we're going to move on from the beginning of chapter 2 right into the passage that we've looked at this morning, which will be verses 5 through 8. And my prayer for all of us this morning is that we'll be encouraged to have the mind of Christ. This is quite a challenge because as Christians, it's easy for us to put on an external presentation and have people think, this is how we really are on the inside. 
We can go through the process of serving and process of making it seem like we have humility and we're serving in, in a humble way. But is that truly in our mind? And that's the focus of our, our message this morning, that we would have the mind of Christ. Another thing that I've been praying for is that having the mind of Christ will serve in the way that Jesus served. From the inside out, having his mind, his thought process. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We know that if we yield to the Holy Spirit this morning, we know that your word is quick and powerful. And this morning, our lives can be changed. Our minds can be provoked to be more like Christ. Specifically this morning, to be thinking like our Lord did and still does. We thank you so much for the patterns that the Lord Jesus Christ has set before us. Father, help us this morning to be ready to have a changed life, a changed mind in order to serve you and to serve others the way that Jesus Christ has served. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Looking once again at verse 5 of Philippians 2, Paul says, let this mind be in you. We can't miss that. We shouldn't miss that. Not in your wife, not in your, your husband. Yes, that's true, but in you. The focus is on me. The focus is on you this morning. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is one of the most challenging Bible passages for Christians. Because we're immediately confronted with a command. A command to have the mind of Christ. A command to think like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not enough for us to just have an outward actions that we look like we're humble or we act like we're happy to serve. It's not enough to have these things in our lives. We need to have this from the inside out. That we are thinking like our Lord Jesus. Paul gives us an imperative. Let this mind be in you, a mindset that flows from the inside out. Have the patterns of Christ's humility and his servitude and his obedience in your mind. We all know that we're repeatedly called to be like Christ. Isn't that something that we're working on with our progressive sanctification? every day, hopefully, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples from the New Testament that remind us that we need to follow his pattern. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought also himself to walk even as he walked. We know these truths. That's our responsibility, to walk as he walked. That's quite a challenge. That means to live as he lived. And then 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us, what? An example that we should follow in his steps. Over and over again, we have reminders that Jesus Christ is our pattern. He's our example, and we should follow after him. Do we have any former high jumpers here 
any former pole vaulters? None. Then I'm on the spot. I was a pole vaulter years ago, way back in the 70s. I would say I was an average pole vaulter. I was not the first guy. And when you're pole vaulting, all of a sudden the bar is too high and you can you get to pass on it. You say, oh, that's too high. I'll take a pass. That's That's too high for me. I can't make that. But as God's children called to follow Jesus Christ, it's not our option to pass just because the Lord has set the bar so high. Amen? He's our pattern. And every day, every week, every month, we can be coming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're focusing on our mind, our mind being like the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul commands us here, let this mind be in you. In our progressive sanctification, hopefully all of us are ever climbing higher and higher, becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. In his strength, obviously, through the empowering of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we become more like our Savior. But I know because I've watched believers over the years, I know sometimes Christians will just level out. They're plateauing. And sadly, sometimes Christians will start losing ground. And they're going downhill. Instead of becoming more and more like Christ, they're becoming more like the world and less like the Lord Jesus Christ. But praise the Lord, we can get back on track. And we can serve the Lord. And we can become more and more a pattern following the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the old hymns of the faith. And I'm sure Kurt will agree with me. I'm convinced that some of our greatest hymns of the faith from the past are from men and women that knew their Bibles. They knew their Bibles. Because when I start digging into the scripture and I find hymns that line up perfectly what I'm preaching on, I know these people spent time in their Bibles before they started putting pen to paper and writing hymns. We all know this hymn. I'm pressing on the, you can say it, upward way, new heights I'm gaining every other day. No, did I say something wrong there? What is it, Rob? Every day, huh, every day, still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet where? On higher ground. This message this morning about having the mind of Christ is pressing on to higher ground. And I don't really care where you think you are in your walk with the Lord. Can you get higher? Yes. Can you be more humble? Yes. Can you serve with more obedience? Yes. Praise the Lord to his empowering. We can do this. We can have the mind of Christ. And even though the bar is set so high, we need to realize that if God calls us to do something, he has also enabled us to do that. Amen. We are, after all, new creatures right? With new natures, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 
We have the word of God to instruct us, and we have the local church to equip us. And I will add this. We also have the Lord Jesus Christ interceding for us in heaven, even now, while we're struggling. Even now, he could be interceding for us to become more and more like him and having his mind, the mind of Christ. After commanding us to have the mind of Christ, Paul gives some specific examples in the Lord Jesus Christ's life. Some examples that should be spiritual qualities in our own lives. And these examples from the life of Christ, I believe they show us the process that Jesus went through. The process that Jesus went to, through to become the servant of God. To become the humble servant of God that would go to the cross and die on the cross for our sins. Look at verse 6 of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6. Who being in the form of God, but not robbery to be equal with God. This word form speaks of essence, not shape. Jesus in every way was equal to God the Father in deity and infinite attributes and perfect imperfections of character. Yet we know as the Son of God, he was always submissive to God the Father. From eternity past, he was submissive to God the Father. We find in the book of Revelation that Lamb was slain from when? The foundation of the world, even before one molecule was created. It was already in the plan of God the Father and God the Son that Jesus Christ would be slain and pay the penalty price for mankind's sins. So many verses that many of us probably have memorized remind us of the truths that Paul is talking about here. We probably all know John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who was the Word? We know from John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. He was in the beginning. He's always been. And the word was God, that means he's equal to God. Why? Because he is God. And he was with God. He's always had that association. He's always been with God the Father. And certainly as finite beings, sometimes it's hard for us to fully comprehend things of this magnitude. But we should try our best. John also says in John 1.3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Ponder this for a moment. Think about having the mind of Christ, because it's important for us to understand if Jesus is in the, he's God, who being in the form of God, he is God. Think about what Jesus did for us. Think about the creator God becoming part of his creation. In order to be obedient to God the Father and also in order to love us. How can our finite minds fully process this reality? Yet in pondering how the creator becomes part of his creation so that he can 
meet the needs spiritually of his creatures. That's us, mankind. And pondering it, it gives us an understanding of the, the limitless humility and obedience of Jesus Christ. Why do I say limitless? As, as a man, I'm already pretty low. I'm looking at Rob when I say this. You're already pretty low, right? Think about the Lord of glory, the creator of the universe, coming down to minister to mankind. We can't comprehend that kind of drop in lowliness, but that's what the Lord did for us. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 continues. He was in the form of God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Paul uses this noun here in the original Greek. And it's, it's, it's from that, this is a noun, but it's from the verb harparzo. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Harparzo? It means to snatch away, to catch up. How about the rapture? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. And Paul here is using the noun form, and it has this sense, to seize upon or to hold fast, to retain. And what he's saying is, is that the Lord Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was not going to continue to hold on to or seize on to something. Well, what was that? What was that? I believe not holding on to the full manifestation of the Son of God's, certainly his glory, other than seeing a little bit of it at the transfiguration, it was all veiled and covered. He would not keep clinging to the full manifestation of his deity before the incarnation. And there's a reason why I'm trying to emphasize full. Because he certainly did manifest his deity while he was on earth. You know, we'll get to that in a moment about some of the manifestations. But it was not full. It's not full, complete manifestations of his full deity. And why did he do that? Why did he not... Stop, why did he stop seizing to what he had before he took on flesh? Because in order to take on flesh, he could not keep holding on to these things. Can you see that? He could not keep on holding on to the full manifestation of his glory, the full manifestation of his deity. In eternity past, the Son of God was always manifesting his full deity. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven with God the Father being surrounded by holy angels crying out all the time, holy, holy, holy. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus to be in heaven where there was no sin? And can you imagine what it would be like for him to have to stop holding on to what he had before he took on flesh in order for him to come down here to minister to mankind. During Jesus' earthly ministry, 
Jesus is the son of God. He was always the God man. The moment he took on flesh, he was the God man. He was fully God and yet fully man, except for he did not have a sin nature. But as the God man while on earth, Jesus willingly veiled and set aside the fullness of his deity, and he chose not to manifest his full deity. I want you to think about a couple of verses. John chapter 1, verse 18. I'm just going to read these to you. No man had seen God any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He, referring to Jesus Christ, hath declared him who is God the Father. That word declared, we get our word exegete from, to bring forth or to show forth. Jesus in the flesh, who's the God-man, is showing forth who? God the Father. John also wrote in John 14, 9, it was Jesus speaking when he said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. You see, even though his deity is, is veiled and not fully manifested, he's still showing forth the Father. But then we have something else we need to consider as far as what needed to be veiled. When God was speaking to Moses in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, he says, no man can see me and what? Live. Because no one can see the full glory of God and live. That's another reason why Jesus' glory had to be veiled, because no man could see that and live. This first example of our Lord basically st stopping to hold on to something that he had that was rightfully his, but he did that in order to serve. This first example should impact how we think. In order to take on flesh, Jesus had to stop seizing onto what he had before the incarnation. He couldn't keep clinging to his pre-incarnate existence in full. He had to stop holding on to his glory. It's hard for us to process that because we don't have intrinsic glory of our own even yet. And when we do get that, it's going to be from God. But with Jesus Christ, the glory was all part of who he was. And he would willingly set that aside during his time on earth. He would not fully manifest his infinite powers. But yet he did do some things that certainly showed who he was. Jesus could walk on water. That's a clear indicator that he can do things that I can't. Jesus could speak and storms would cease. I wish I had that ability when I was climbing mountains. Jesus could raise the dead and he did. 
Jesus gave sight to the blind. But was the creator of the universe holding back? Can you see why he had to do this? He had to set aside these things, stop clinging to these things. Sometimes we hold on to attitudes that keep us from serving. We hold on to things that have nothing to do with the mind of Christ, but it's our old nature, it's the ways of man. I remember an evangelist years ago, he was speaking at a pastor's conference, and he told this story, he said, I was, I was preaching at a large church, and a group of us, the pastoral staff and I, were walking across the lawn of this church, and I saw a piece of trash on the ground. Seems like a simple thing. And the evangelist started making his way over to the piece of trash, and the senior pastor said, oh, no, we have other people that take care of things like that. And the evangelist, without skipping a beat, without saying a word, stooped down, picked up the piece of trash, put it in his pocket. Well, all of us pastors are at the edge of our seat. What did the senior pastor say to you? He never said a word. And neither did the evangelist. But he told us if the senior pastor had said something to him, he would have said, when I think of this passage, Philippians chapter 2, and I think of John chapter 13, where our Lord Jesus Christ put a towel around himself and got down on one or two knees and washed the feet of the disciples. And he, he lowered himself that much to minister to people to his disciples. How could I not stoop down and pick up a simple piece of trash? It might seem like a silly illustration, but there's a mindset going on here that we need to see. Amen? There's a mindset. Because we can't even fathom how, how high Jesus was and how low he came down in order to serve. And here we are. We're already low to begin with. And are we not willing to stoop down and do whatever it takes to serve a brother or sister in Christ or to reach out to the lost? We should be willing. We should be willing. Now, Philippians verse, chapter 2, verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. In the previous verse, Jesus let go, stopped seizing in the original language to what he had in his pre-incarnate condition. He stopped seizing to the fullness of his pre-incarnate existence. Now, in verse 7, we see the next step that Jesus would have to take. And this shows us how Jesus had to lay aside. Lay aside the fullness of what he had in his pre-incarnate condition. You might be thinking, well, this seems a little redundant. Well, God is in the business of being redundant with us because we need that, amen? We need to think, hear things over and over and over again. Anybody here have children, grandchildren? Uh, did you ever tell your children something once and they got it? No. We're the children of God. 
And we need to hear things over and over and over again. So it seems a little redundant, but in the beginning, in, in verse 6, Jesus stopped seizing too. In verse 7, he's going to lay aside the fullness that he had before the incarnation. Think about what Jesus would... I, I'm going to use the word trade. Jesus would trade being known by every angel in heaven. In every saint in glory, he would trade all that in to come down to the earth and then be rejected by men to be unknown. John says he came unto his own and his own, thank you, received him not. He traded that for this? Yes, because he loved us. And he was being obedient to God the Father. Jesus would take on the form of a servant. He would be made in the likeness of men. But we know regarding his deity and his divine attributes, Jesus veiled his glory and limited some of his attributes during his incarnation. He had to stop seizing to what he had before. He had to lay aside what he had before. I'm going to give you some examples of why he had to do that. There's a lot of reasons he had to do that. Think with me about the Last Supper. All the disciples are gathered, and we know there's the discussion about who's going to betray him. And John, who calls himself often the disciple whom Jesus loved, during the Last Supper, John leans back on the chest of Jesus. That's pretty intimate, isn't it? That's what the Bible tells us. He's able to lean back on the Lord Jesus. John could not have done that unless Jesus had laid aside his pre-incarnate privileges. Because that same John in Revelation 1.17, in a vision, mind you, in a vision, he says, and when I saw him, who's the him? Jesus Christ now glorified. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Can you see why Jesus had to lay aside certain things? In order to serve mankind. When Jesus was taken in the garden, he could have called for more than 12 legions of angels. But he didn't. Why? He laid those things aside in order to be obedient, in order to serve. Jesus hung on the cross, bleeding with his hands and his feet pierced with huge nails. And mockers from the crowd cried out, If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. Hmm. Did Jesus have the divine attributes that would enable him to come down from the cross? He had them. but it was his humility and his obedience to God the Father 
that kept him on that cross. And that humility and obedience involved Jesus not clinging to and laying aside many of the things that he had before he took on flesh. Now, I'm not going to cover the following verses after chapter uh, verse 8, because those are the verses that talk about what happens next in the Lord, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory of God the Father. We don't have time to deal with that, but we know that his setting aside and laying aside and not clinging to is just for a moment in order to serve God and to serve mankind. Our Lord set aside so much in the process of being humble and obedient to God the Father. Francis H. Rowley captured this thought in his hymn. Now, Pastor Tim, if he got to a section like this, he could actually sing it. I'm just going to read it. You don't want me to sing. I can make a joyful noise and we'll leave it at that. We know this hymn. I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. How he left his home in glory. Say it. For the cross of Calvary. Is this not capturing some of the thoughts that Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 2? How Jesus left his home in glory for the cross of Calvary. Jesus' pattern shows us to not hold on to things that will keep us from serving. The Lord's pattern shows us that there's a time for laying aside whatever keeps us from serving. With everybody here, I don't know what it is, but remember, we're not talking about staying where we are today. Amen? We're talking about moving ahead. New heights I'm gaining every what? Every day, not every other day, every other week, every other month, every day. I know that's, I know that's a hymn. It's not inspired. But I believe that person knew the God of the Bible. And God of the Bible wants us to go and have new heights every day. Every day. We need to remember that in the process of, of letting go and laying aside in order to serve, that this passage is focusing on our minds. It begins in our minds and then it flows to our actions. Verse 7 continues, and took upon him the form of a servant. In the original language, this is the Greek word doulos, and we probably many of you know that. It's the common word for bondservant, slave, if you will. Does that mean that the, the king of kings, the lord of glories, came down to the earth to become a doulos? A bondservant? Is that what that means? You see, even if we were put into slavery, we can never come down as far as Jesus did. Just, we just can't do that. Matthew 20, verse 28. 
we read, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Why did Jesus come to the earth? So people could minister to him? No. So that he would minister and give his life a ransom for many. John 13 records that moment when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. But Luke chapter 22 records what was going on before the disciples had their feet washed. Before that moment, the disciples were, were bickering and having strife within the discipleship group as to who was going to be the greatest among them. And I was thinking about this as I was preparing. Here we have 12 disciples. I know Judas Iscariot was not a believer, so we'll focus on the 11. We have 11 disciples that are trained by the Lord for almost three and a half years at this point. Many of them had already been disciples of John the Baptist before that. So for th almost three and a half years, they're being taught by the greatest teacher of all times. They're being mentored by the, by the one who is our perfect example. And only days before the cross, they're concerned about who's the greatest. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. Beginning in verse 13, Jesus had already washed the disciples' feet. And now he has something to say to them. I don't know if there'll be reruns of biblical events in heaven. <laughs> but if there was, I'd like to see this one in real time. I'm just kind of being funny theologically. It's probably not going to happen. But listen to what the Lord says after he washed the feet of the disciples. Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you, what? An example. That you should do as I have done. We, we have a pattern before us, and I don't believe that Foot washing is an ordinance for today, but the mindset is. Amen. The mindset is. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. What is Jesus saying? Men, you're not greater than me, and I just washed your feet. Verse 17 is a verse we should not gloss over. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Some of the most unhappy Christians I have ever met are people who are not serving God. Just being honest with you. You might say, that was me last month. Right? Not impossible. I'm sure all of us, if we wanted to be honest, painfully honest with one another, would probably say, 
I've had moments that I was unhappy and not serving the Lord like I should. In contrast, some of the happiest Christians I've ever known are those who serve in humility. They don't need to be called out. They don't need to be recognized. Because they do it for who? They do it for the Lord. We see a pattern here in the foot washing of humility and service. We also have this reminder that the servant is not greater than the Lord. Well, if the Lord would do something that a servant should do, a slave in that case should do, who are we to say, oh, I'm, I'm above doing some things? In Jewish society during Jesus' earthly ministry, who would have normally done the foot washing? Who would have normally done the foot washing? The person in the room that was lowest in society. And Jesus does it? Huh. We should say, of course Jesus does it. Because he is the supreme, ultimate example for us. Can you see the mind of Christ here in John chapter 13? Can you see the mind of Christ? And remember that Jesus is washing the feet of these bickering, strife-ridden disciples only days before he goes to the cross. And all these men can think about is who's the greatest among them. Another thing I don't want to miss here is that our Lord's humble servitude did not depend on the attitude of others. Isn't that important for us to see here in John 13? Here the disciples are thinking, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you, Peter. No, I'm better than you. And what does Jesus do? He gets down and he takes the position of a servant and he washes their feet. Was he waiting until they had the right attitude? No. Jesus died for us while we were yet. He didn't wait for us to get it all right, did he? Over and over again, we see a pattern of how Jesus served. And you might be called to humbly serve people that are not, that are not having a great attitude. But serve we should. Verse 7 continues, And was made in the likeness of men. Now all of us are born in the flesh. That's no surprise. But our Lord took on flesh in the incarnation. It's hard for us to fathom, as John puts it, in John 1, 14, and the word became, what? Flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We can't fully fathom what it was like for Jesus, the creator of all things, to come down and take on flesh, to be born of a woman, and then become dependent upon creation itself. That the creator would come down, become part of his creation, and then in a human body would become dependent. He would have to have food and water. He's the one who created food and water. His body now would need rest. The one who never needed rest would need rest. He would feel fatigue and he would feel pain. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus stopped seizing to his 
pre-incarnate fullness. He laid aside all that would keep him from taking on flesh and going to the cross. And finally, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Now you would think that Jesus just taking on flesh and not fully manifesting his deity would be humbling enough, wouldn't you? But notice what it says next. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. For the holy, sinless Son of God to die in his human body was one thing. But to die the death of the cross was yet another. The cross was a form of capital punishment for Rome. And it was a capital punishment for non-citizens. Well, where was Jesus from? He left his home in glory. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was from glory. And the cross is a punishment for the common criminal. He had what on either side of him on crosses? Thieves, common thieves. Can you imagine how humbling that was? And then add to that that Jesus died for sinners, past, present, and future. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says, For he, that's God, hath made him the Son of God to be sin for us who knew no sin. How can we fully comprehend that? That our Lord Jesus, if it wasn't enough for him to stop seizing onto all that he was, his fullness thereof in the past before he took on flesh, and setting aside Everything that he would need to set aside in order to come down and be, take on flesh and then go to the cross. If that's not enough, Isaiah reminds us, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. How can we fully comprehend how low, not in a moral sense, but in a servitude sense, that Jesus was willing to go in order to obey God and to serve mankind. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of our cross, of the cross. Did our Lord put a limit on his lowliness? No. Did he put a limit on his humility in order to love mankind and obey God the Father? No, he did not. If we want to have the mind of Christ, can we put limits on our lowliness or humility? We shouldn't. But our flesh wrestles against that, doesn't it? Because we don't like to be made low. Jesus is our supreme example of humility. And he's our ultimate pattern to follow. To have the mind of Christ, as we see it here in Philippians 2, involves letting go of things that keep you from serving humbly. And I don't know what it is for you, 
I know what it is for me. And sometimes I might have to cry out for God to reveal things that I'm not dealing with yet. In order to have the mind of Christ, you might have to lay aside things in order to serve God humbly. To become a bondservant, if you will, like the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to. And I think when we have, truly have the mind of Christ, then our, our service, our obedience, our humility is from the inside out. It starts here in our mind and then goes to the outside. When we have the mind of Christ, we'll stop clinging to those things that exalt us before others because certainly Jesus was not looking while he was on earth to be exalted in that way. we have the mind of Christ, we'll lay aside whatever keeps us from being a servant. I just want to close with the words that we began with. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the example of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our supreme example. And Father, we know that you want us every day, every, every week, every month, every year to become more and more like our dear Savior. Father, in this area that we've been looking at this morning, to have the mind of Christ, help each one of us to truly want to have the mind of Christ, to think like Jesus did, to think about serving as he did, to think about being obedient as he did, and to be truly humble before you and for, before other believers and also in the unsaved world, that we'd be truly humble people. Father, help us to have the mind of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.